September 18th, Back to Church Sunday. It's a national campaign where churches, uh, thousands and thousands of churches across the United States, up into the 20,000 churches in the United States, are inviting people back to church on September 18th. We have invite cards on the back table. Begin to pray now. Really, the church is the answer, not because we're the church, but because we have Christ. And man, if the world doesn't need Jesus more today than ever, I'm not sure when. We've been told to put our trust in things other than Christ in our culture. There's hopelessness, there's brokenness, and, and, and I have dedicated my life to, to, to trying to get the gospel out, as many, many of you have. And so I want to encourage you to invite people on September 18th back to church. I have no idea what we're going to preach about yet, but it'll be something, I guess, okay. We're going to have soup and sandwiches after the service out in the cafe. Uh, we're going to be asking you for help to make your favorite soup, the, the soup that's won you all of those awards in the past. We want that one to show up, not the, not the one that you're experimenting with. The Wednesday after... Um, Back to Church Sunday, which is September 21st. I am going to begin to host an Alpha course here at the church. Alpha is a new believer, I don't believe, I'm kicking the tires on Bible study that explains the fundamentals of Christianity, why we believe what we believe. And so you might want to talk to the people you're invited about the possibility of attending that also. That's kind of coinciding with, with Back to Church Sunday. On the 17th, right before the Sunday of the 18th, we are, uh, we are serving at Ives Farm, day at Ives Farm, and a group of us are going out there, and we're just going to kind of just do whatever they need. We're going to be flipping burgers and making dogs and filling soda and stuff like that, and hopefully God will, will give us some conversations to have with people, and maybe we'll even invite a couple people from there back to church on Sunday. I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble or anything like that, but we're going to have invitation cards anyway, you know what I'm saying? So um, begin to pray for that, that we, we want to see God in all of this. We want to see God reach into the lives of people who don't know him through Christ and that he would heal and, and bring them all back to, to this wholeness that we know that is possible through Christ. Now, one last thing. Man, it's quarter. Wait, we're going long today. I just want to let you know. Um, our desire as a church in Cheshire is to serve in Cheshire. It's part of the reason why we now support Hope Pregnancy in Cheshire. It's part of the reason why we've gotten involved with Eyes Farm in Cheshire. And now we've also gotten involved with the food pantry, which they're building over there. It's kind of an ugly building, but it's going to be the food pantry. And um, there is a program where um, we're adopting Cheshire kids and giving them a, a new outfit for school. These are kids that go to Cheshire. Janice Bryden brought it up to me. She, she kind of sent me the email. So we have two kids. We have one a young girl who is, it might be a grand, um, elementary or middle school, and we have a boy that's going to the high school. And so on the back table is the sign-up. We're talking, we're talking underwear, T-shirts, socks, sweatshirts, or sweatshirt, sneakers, uh, an outer shirt, and I just want to encourage you, if you're willing to take this on, and, and you, can just take, um, you can just take one of the articles of clothing. I think we lumped up um, socks and underwear together, but, you know, that's just the way we roll here. Um, so if you're willing to do that, I'm going to ask you, this is Cheshire, and I'm going to ask you to buy nice things, if, that, if you're willing to do it. Um, you know, Walmart sneakers rocking in Cheshire, it's just not cool. 
there's colors, there's, there's all kinds of things that, that these kids want. It's a way that the church reaches into the community and blesses them. And so if it's something you're willing to do, see Dana, she's going to kind of coordinate. The sign-up list is on the back for what you'll get the uh, little piece of paper that says how old the child is and the size the child is and weight and height and shoe size and colors that they want in their shoes and things like that. Let's be a blessing. Let's, let's, I, I envision this kid getting this stuff and going, wow, this is cool. Um, I know Jordans are expensive, but maybe we can get some Kobe's. I don't know if that's even a thing, but Matt, is that a thing? No? Okay, never mind. It's just some Nikes or something like that, right? Um, so those are kind of all of the things that are swirling around. Uh, we're gearing up for September. Uh, we're looking for God to just continue to do stuff in our midst. And he does stuff through the church. And so if you have any questions about anything, just let me know. Be good? All right, so I'm going to talk for a while, I guess, and we'll see how this goes. The elders told me if I didn't preach after all these weeks, I was going to get docked my pay, so. Father, I want to thank you that the love that you have for your church is, is endless. It, it doesn't, we can't define it. We can't harness it. We, we can't even begin to describe it. Empower us to be the church and to love people who don't know you. I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so we are going to get right back into the book of Hebrews. Jump right back in, kind of where we left off. It is a letter in the New Testament written to Jewish men and women who have started this church. These Jewish men and women have put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Now, the church, the church is being persecuted. At the time of the letter, they're just kind of suffering for being Jesus followers. And we know through church history that it's going to get even more intense for them. And so the writer of this letter is telling them, listen, church, no matter what, no matter what happens to you, no matter whatever storms that come in your way, no matter what life throws at you, Jesus is enough. Jesus, he's, he's enough. He can and will get you through it. You will weather the storm with Christ. It was a very relevant message to them, again, because they were, they were going through some stuff. And I believe it's still relevant for the church today because our culture is going through some stuff. We live in kind of this messed up, broken world. And as a world filled with stress and anxiety and hopelessness and, and violence and war, just, just watch the news. Read the headlines and you will see it. And like I said, it, I, 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 watch, I watch the news and I read the news and, and all I hear about is that we, people, need to put our trust in the next president because the next president, whether it's her or him, they're gonna fix it all. It's all gonna go back to the way it should be and we're all gonna be, we're gonna be standing on a mountaintop and there's gonna be rainbows and glitter and marshmallow unicorns just flying around. And, and, and it's the next policy that, that's gonna save us and it's the next, it, and, and I just, I'm thinking, no. It's not that, it's, it's Jesus is the only chance we have in this thing. And it doesn't matter who gets in, it doesn't matter what they say, Jesus is the only thing that's gonna save us. And, and, and if I can get on a little tangent, and I'm gonna. Um, 
the election is, what, 90-something days away. And in our little community here, we have Democrats, and we have Republicans. And let me tell you this. The people who are Democrats really believe that it's going to be better if the Democrats are in power. And the Republicans really believe that if the Republicans are in power, it will be better. It's not like the Republicans are going, man, we're going to hose them so hard. Let's try to do this. Or the Democrats, are, they're not saying that. Social media is a beautiful thing. Please be careful what you put on social media. Please don't divide, but be unifiers. No one has ever changed their affiliation with a political party because some post went on Facebook and they went, I, I never knew that. I need to be a Republican. I need to be a Democrat. Please, be a witness for Christ. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, conversations, whatever it is. Me, personally, I'm an equal opportunity offender. I don't like either side. I will vote. I think we all should vote. Men and women have, have given their lives so we can. But our trust and hope is in Jesus. And church, here's the thing. We have him. We have Christ. The church has Christ. Let's be Christ during this election cycle and every day afterwards. We good? That's my rant. Okay, let's get back to what we're talking about. So my plan today is to preach through an entire chapter 7 of Hebrews. You're welcome. I know that sounds like a lot for me. I looked at it, and, and, I, and I thought, man, I can milk this thing for about four or five weeks. But there's, there's just something that I wanted to get to at the end, coming off of vacation, something that's always kind of churning in my heart. There's a lot of deep stuff in there, a lot of wordy stuff, but we're going to move right through it, the entire chapter this morning, and, and maybe into the afternoon, and possibly evening, but I hope not. Uh-oh is right. The message that God speaks in this chapter is a message of invitation. It's a message of life, and it's a message of salvation. And I could have broken it up into all these little pieces, but I got to the end of this, and I thought about it, and I said, this is what the church needs to hear. And so we're going to go. Let's do this. Hebrews there's only 28 verses, and we're, these are first three, so here we go. Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without mother or father, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So this is a very short, interesting little intro to the entire chapter 7. And he's calling our attention back to his story in Genesis, the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 14. Now Abraham, he takes 318 of his finest fighters from his home, and he goes out and he goes to battle with four kings and their armies. And by the grace of God, he wins. 
he beats down these four kings and their armies. And when you beat down four kings and their four armies, you earn yourself a little bit of street cred. You come back a little bit, you know, with your shoulders back and your head hell high. And so he, come on, he comes back, and not only does he win, but he brings back all of the plunder and the spoils of battle. I was told you can't use booty anymore, so we can't, he didn't bring the booty back, but he brought back the plunder and the spoils of battle. Money, gold, silver, weapons, cattle, horses, camels, all of this stuff he brings back with him because back then that's the way they roll. It's winner take all. So he comes back and he meets this guy, Melchizedek, when he gets back, this, this king and this priest of God most high. And it's, a very, it's only a very few verses mentioned about this guy. And so let's, let's just take a quick look. This is Genesis chapter 14. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And that's it. He kind of disappears from the pages of the story and the pages of Scripture until we see it again in the New Testament. And it's very unusual for somebody to be uh, introduced this way from the Bible. Because usually Old Testament writers, when they were talking about somebody who, who brought a little, uh, a little weight to the story, there would be some stuff about them. There would be some father stuff, maybe about his mother, maybe about the land he came from, maybe about when he was born, where he was born, maybe, maybe if he was dead already or where he was going. or where. All, there's none of that about Melchizedek. And we're going to call him Mel for short because his name's just too long to say. Um, and so it's, it's, it's very unique that this is all there is in Genesis 14 about this guy, just a few short verses. It says that he's a king and he is a priest of God Most High. And as we read in the Hebrews passage, his name means king of peace and king of righteousness. These very words have been used to describe Jesus, both in the prophetic, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament. And so he meets up with Abram, Abraham, and he blesses him. And not only does he bless him with, with a prayer, but he brings wine and bread. Now, this is not a snack because he might be hungry after uh, after this big battle, there is much symbolism in this bread and in this wine. You see, bread is the symbol of strength and sustenance, and wine is a symbol of joy in life. Mel brings these things to Abraham. He comes back from the battle, and this king, who is a priest, blesses him with strength in life, with sustenance and joy through the giving of bread and wine. We just partook in, the, in communion where Jesus said, take this bread and when you eat it, remember me, my broken body. Jesus giving the church sustenance and strength and then the wine that he gave, we don't use wine, we use juice, but it's, it's the blood of his covenant, and, and that gives us life, both life today and life eternal. The new covenant of strength and life, the priest giving this to Abram. And then in verse two, 
It says, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem means king of peace. Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. He comes back with a lot of stuff. He, he receives this blessing from this king, from this priest, and Abraham gives him a gift. Abraham tithes to this king, to this priest. Now, now tithing in the Hebrew mindset is this recognition that the one receiving is far superior than from the one who's giving. It's, it's a way to pay homage. It's an act of respect, a recognition of all that I have is not mine, and I'm going to give some away to recognize that it, it really isn't mine anyway. This is, this is what Abram is doing, Abraham is doing when he gives this king, this priest, a tenth. He knew what this blessing was. He felt the weight of what this priest had just blessed him with, strength, and life. It was given to him, and something inside him, something inside Abraham responded to that, and he felt that he needed to give back. He needed to recognize the weight and how much this blessing meant to him, and he gave it back to this priest. I believe it's the same thing that led Abel to bring the offering before God in, in the story of Cain and Abel. There was no law then. There was God saying, you need to offer sacrifices. There was something that welled up inside him and said, I need to give back. And for Abraham, this is before the law. This is before any commandments. This is just the moving of his heart. Now we're gonna see in this passage as we go through the chapter that the priests, the Levites, they would take the tithe from the people. See, God had created the system where uh, the, the priests were paid by the people. And they, the people would bring their tithe, and this is how the priest, this is how they, they live. This is how God kind of, kind of orchestrated this thing. I believe that God created that law of tithing because he knew that without the Holy Spirit transforming people's hearts, then most people wouldn't give really anything to the priests. And so God's created this law. But Abraham is not experiencing law or commandment. There's something that's moving him in the depths of his soul. He was blessed with life and strength, and now whatever is inside him has kind of boiled up, and he has now given. And then verse 3, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of man, he remains a priest forever. They're talking about Mel here. Now, they're not saying that he is eternal. They're not saying that he's some kind of angel, that he's been around with God forever and ever, amen. The story is painting a picture for us as, this, as the scriptures do about God and who he is and uh, the character and the nature of who he is. And the writer of the Hebrew letter, he's making all these connections by the Holy Spirit. He's bringing this short little story from the Old Testament and he is showing Jesus in this story. And literally, in the story in Genesis, there is no reference to this guy's mother or father or genealogy. And so he resembles that of Jesus, that Jesus has no beginning. Jesus has no end. He's eternal with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I believe what the author is trying to get us to understand and to realize that, that this king of peace, this king of righteousness has a longing to bless with life and strength. Abraham didn't ask for it, but Mel gave it freely. See, the picture that it's painting here is Melchizedek is Jesus, and we are Abraham. We have a king. 
a king of peace and righteousness that wants to bless us with strength and life. Now, before we go on, I need to kind of set up this Old Testament idea of the priests. Now, I promise we're getting somewhere. It's gonna, and, and, and we're going to end up somewhere hopefully good, so just stay with me. So Old Testament priests, uh, they were kind of the all-encompassing keepers of the law. God has given the law, and there's all these nuances of the law, and there's 613 do's and don'ts of the law, and then all the offshoots of these things. And so if you had this, this disease on you, you would go to the priest and say, priest, I have this disease. And he would say, well, Go back out into the desert, and if your arm falls off, don't come back. But if it doesn't, you come back, you offer something, and you're good to go. You're clean. So they were kind of acted like a doctor. But also, if you went to the priest, say you were struggling with some sin in your life, some brokenness. Maybe, maybe there's darkness in your heart. Maybe you were just unsure of things. Maybe you felt very distant from God. You would go to the priest and say, priest, here's, here's what I'm experiencing. Here's the way I'm living. Here's what I'm doing. And the priest would take your life, and he would hold it up against the law and go, okay, this is what the law says. This is what the rules say. And you, this is where you are failing to live up to what the rules say. So what you need to do is you need to fix this. You need to get this right. You need to stop doing that. You need to start doing this because this is what the law says. And now we're going to kill a goat and God will forgive you. That was the office of priests. Now they had all kinds of other duties around the temple and, and you know, on all those other types of things, but they, they, were for, they were for the people. I have no idea where I am in my notes. Oh, yes, okay. So with that said, let's get into the next section. Just think how great he was at talking about Melchizedek. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires, this is the law, this is what God has instituted through Moses. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their fellow Israelites, even though they are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So we're talking about um, Melchizedek isn't from the lineage of Abraham. He's not in the priestly lineage, but yet he receives this tenth as a priest would. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. And that makes perfect sense to all of us, I know. Now, like I said, this gets really wordy, and I'm just going to kind of boil this down a little bit, um, flesh it out real quick. The patriarch, it was the head honcho of the family. Those were the ones that uh, they sat at the top of the totem pole, and they kind of directed people, and people kind of respected them because they worked their way to the top. The patriarch would not have paid the tithe. They would have their peeps do that. They would not have taken part in that. And so we see here that this Melchizedek must have been quite the guy because even Abraham, the patriarch, has given him the tithe. And the, old, uh, the priests, the, the, the tribe of Levi, were our descendants from Abraham because Abraham is the first. Abraham sent, um, was sent out. Abraham had the promise of God that your offspring will, will fill the earth and the entire earth will be blessed through you. And this tribe came from him. And it says that even Levi, the priest, was still in his body, not quite born yet. And so in a weird way, he paid the tithe to Melchizedek. You follow me on that? 
If not, Google it when you get home. It'll, it'll clear it up. The Old Testament priests were part of God's plan. They had a role to play. They had a very specific purpose, God-ordained purpose. They were part of the system that God created. They created for, for the people. See, the priest was there so these people would not live in guilt and shame, but they would have a way of, of, of experiencing the forgiveness of God. And that's why they would, they would go to the priest and that's why they would sacrifice an animal, that, that they would feel forgiven. And so it was very important role, a very important role that these priests had. But the role that they had is only secondary and it's actually incomplete to what God was going to do through Jesus Christ in the hearts of men and women because it was going to be done once and for all. Moving right along, I told you, the whole chapter in the morning. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek. He's talking about this priest to come who is Jesus, not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe was ever served at the altar, has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear, <laughs> right? If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared you are priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So we're talking about Jesus here. Jesus did not come from the lineage of priest, just like Melchizedek did not come from a lineage of priest, but yet he has become the once and for all high priest. But what I want you to pay attention here is the first verse right out of the gate. It says that if the law if the rules, if following the rules and going to the priest and him comparing your life to how you were doing with the rules, if you could have been made perfect by that, if you could have been healed, if you could have been made right before God by those things, then why in the world would we ever have needed Jesus? If that could fix us, following the law, following the rules, then why would we ever need Jesus? If we could, if we can behave enough to make sure that we were right before God, then Jesus wasted his time and it's just a really good story. But the law doesn't make us right. Our behavior doesn't make us right. Abraham, Moses brought us the law. Jesus, our high priest, brought us grace and brought us truth. And the difference between the two is on polar opposite ends of the spectrum. The law and God's grace. And see, in these verses kind of just set up the next two, 18 and 19, which are probably two of my most favorite verses in Hebrews and maybe in all of Scripture. The formal regulation is set aside. The formal laws are set aside because it was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. The law, following the rules and the regulations, fixes nothing. It transforms nothing. It doesn't heal 
anything on the inside. It doesn't change anything. Trying to follow the rules, trying to keep track of your behavior, getting up in the morning and just hoping that you can put more check marks in the attaboy than in the oboys, and, and then you maybe, maybe you've made it through that day better than, than worse. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't change the heart. It doesn't heal the heart. It will not make you right before God. In fact, I've seen it all too often where it only discourages people. They just can't get this thing. They can't live into this thing. They can't be good enough and they get discouraged and they walk away from the very one who longs to bless them with strength and life. There's a better hope. There is a better hope, a real hope, a changing, transforming hope that is Jesus Christ. He is our hope. If the law could save us, if following the rules could save us and transform us, there would be no need for grace. There'd be no need for Jesus. And you know, too often we as people and we as the church, we get caught up in focusing on behavior. Now, now don't get me wrong, how you live your life is important, but that is putting the cart before the horse. We focus on making sure we, we clean them up, they get cleaned up, they get it together, they get it to right, but we forget that just behaving in a certain way is, is not changing the core of the problem. Just trying to behave better does not fix us because lasting transformation doesn't happen on the outside, it happens on the inside, it happens to the heart, it happens to the soul. And we cannot any longer put that cart before the horse. Show me someone. Show me someone that's living a destructive life that is just living outside of the rhythms and the harmony of God and I will show you a person that doesn't know Jesus. And they may know stuff about him. They may know Bible stories. They may even quote chapter and verse. They may even be, be in church. But living a destructive life, living outside of, 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 the, of the rhythms that God has invited us in, means that you just don't know grace. You don't know Christ. And you can try all you want to clean it up, to get it together, to fix it, and it's just for nothing until the Spirit of God comes within and begins to work on the inside. The problem with the law and the rules, it, it just it doesn't fix anything. It, it shows us what's wrong, and it shows us a different way to live, and it shows us what sin looks like, but it does nothing, it does nothing to free us into the life that Jesus came and died for. Nothing. It does nothing to free us into that. Jesus came to heal the heart. He came to heal the soul. And when they begin to be healed, life changes. You live in a very different way. That's the beginning of wholeness. That's the beginning of strength. That's the beginning of life. Let me give you a, an example. So say, uh, I'll use a guy. Um, he's, he's an alcoholic. He's been an alcoholic for a long time, and he's an alcoholic. And he gets up in the morning, and, and, he, and he says, yeah, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm putting, the, I'm putting the, the post in the sand, and, and I am not going to drink today. And yet all day long, the only thing he could think about is drinking. 
and it's just, it's, it's gnawing at him, and he thinks, maybe just one drink just to get me over the hump, and then, then I won't drink anymore. But no, I, I promised myself I wasn't going to drink, and all I can think about is constantly getting that drink, but he doesn't want to drink. And then the guilt from his alcoholism starts to invade his heart, and he begins to think about the people that he's hurt and the promises that he, he's broken, and thinking about all of the other times that he tried to quit but, but he couldn't, and he just went right back to drinking again. But he doesn't want to drink today. And he gets to the end of the day, and he, he sits down on the couch, and he's like, I did it. I didn't have a drink today. Has he been set free? Has he really been healed from that addiction? No. Behavior did not heal him from it. He was just able to squeak through one day without a drink. See, the law, the rules say don't commit adultery. But Jesus, Jesus said, man, you walk around with lust in your heart, you're just as broken. The law says don't murder. But Jesus would say, if you walk around mad and angry and frustrated all the time, you are just as broken. The law says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus would say, why, why are you trying to get back at people? Do good to those people who hurt you. See, that comes from the heart. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus goes beyond our behaviors. And he wants to get to the heart of the matter because the heart is the matter. And he wants to, I'm gonna use, he wants to desperately heal it. He didn't come to fix the symptoms. He came to fix the problem. And that's, that's Jesus' victory. That's big time victory. That's a changed life. That's the gospel message. That's the good news. That's what we, the church, have. The good news. And the world I see is dying for good news. Something good. There are too many people that I have met throughout my entire ministry time that are killing themselves, trying to toe the line with someone else's interpretation of how they should be living. And they try to do it, and they can't do it, and they fail, and there's only guilt, and there's more shame piled on more guilt and more shame. We need to be inviting people into pursuing a deep, intimate, personal relationship with the Savior, not trying to behave their way into God's good grace. Because that place is the only place where change is going to happen. All right. I told you we're going to finish. Okay. And it was without an oath, others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Now, the Old Testament priests, they became priests because they were in the right tribe. They had the right heritage. Jesus became priest because God said, you will be a priest. Because of this oath, Jesus has become a guarantor of better, how you say that word? Never mind, of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since, the death, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, 
set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sin once for all when he offered himself, and that's when he offered himself on the cross. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. So as he's finishing this chapter, he wants us to understand that there have been many priests in this office of priesthood and many people have benefited from their, from their ministry. But because priests are human beings, they would always end up dying and God would have to make more and he would have to install these priests to do their job, to do the very sacred job that God has called them to. But now, but now we will never be lacking for priestly representation before God. For now, Jesus is the once and for all permanent high priest of our lives. We have access to him 24-7. 24-7. He will never get tired. He will never take a break. He will never take a nap. He will never die. He is never off duty. His invitation is constant. It's consistent. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is the invitation of our priest. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, a place of honor, and he intercedes for us. Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for the world. He prays for us in our weakness. He prays for us in our sin. He prays for us when we're up. He prays for us when we're down. He prays for us at our best. And he prays for you and me when we are at our down, dirty worst. He intercedes for us. And then these two verses out of this. Therefore, he is able to save completely. There is nothing that Jesus cannot save you from. There is nothing in your heart that he cannot heal. There is nothing in your life that he cannot redeem. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Do you see why Jesus is a non-negotiable part of our lives. We cannot receive the forgiveness unless we receive Christ and his grace and the work of the cross because he always lives to intercede for us. Such a high priest truly meets our need. You are no longer, you no longer need to think you have to clean yourself up, get yourself together, get it right before you come before God. Jesus has opened the path. He has paved the way. The, the, the curtain has been torn open. We can enter into that most holy place before God. And he wants to transform us from the inside out. That's, that's his desire. He wants to transform us so that sin loses its power over us and we can walk in freedom, we can walk in wholeness, we can walk in strength, and we can walk in life. That's what he wants for us. He's not interested in you controlling your lust. He's not. He wants, you, he wants to heal you of it. He's not interested in you and going to anger management classes and getting a handle on those and, and recognizing, you know, your, you know, what's going to trigger you off and set you off. He's not interested in any of that. He's interested in healing you of that anger. 
He's not interested in you in trying to get a, get a handle on that addiction or, or that other thing that just kind of sneaks up and it plagues you and it's been plaguing you in your entire life. He doesn't care about you trying to fix yourself. He wants to heal you of it once and for all. Thank you. Do you see the difference between the rules and God's grace? See, the rules are there to show us that we can never get to there without the grace of God through Jesus Christ. One pastor, he said it this way. The moment grace takes root is the moment that honesty occurs in the deep parts of the soul. The moment grace takes root is the moment that honesty occurs in the deep parts of the soul. You see, when grace takes root in the heart and soul of a person, we no longer have to be afraid of who we are, the things we've done, the, 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 the thoughts that we've had, because Jesus has entered in and he will begin to heal. He will begin to bring wholeness. He wants to bless with strength. He wants to bless with life. Just like Mel did with Abram, Abraham, Jesus wants to do with each and every one of us. Now I know, I know that we all struggle with things and we beat ourselves up because we don't follow the rules and we know we should be doing this. We know we shouldn't be doing that. But I wanna tell you, man, there's, there is grace in Christ. There is forgiveness, there is mercy, and there is wholeness in those places. And you are going to continue to beat yourself up if you try to fix yourself. I'm going to tell you, you can't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible. But through the power of Christ, all things are possible. Amen. All things. Now, we're going to have some people that are going to stand up here and they want to pray for you or pray with you. And I say this every week, and, and sometimes I see some people come up. I know that there's people here that, that, that would invite prayer. Don't be afraid. We all need it. It's not like, you know, ooh, they're praying in church. I've never seen that before. This is prayer. And so if God is kind of doing something in your heart and you just want to reach out and have a brother or a sister pray for you or with you, stop by. If you don't want to come up, there's people here that will be willing to pray with you. Uh, sitting down, incognito. All right, I told you before noon. I got four minutes. So I love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Peace.